Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. This week's message is sponsored by the Harrison Audiovisual Production Team, working to provide excellence in lighting, sound, and visuals at Harrison Church. With the busiest season of the year approaching, all help is appreciated. For information on ways that you can serve or get involved, email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Yes, thank you, Charles. And, you know, as he says, pray for the message because now the fun's over. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Would you allow me just a moment of personal privilege? So that was my daughter who just sang. And I, and I just have to say to you, Jordan, I love you so much. I'm very proud of you. You're my hero. And you too, Davis, over there, calling under the table. Just like I would in worship. Uh, Well, good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to have you with us, and I'm glad that you have come here this morning. Uh, If you are visiting with us this uh, Sunday, we are at the very end now. This is like the concluding chapter of this series that uh, we've been doing for the last five weeks on the Beatitudes, the, the opening sentences of Jesus. If you look at Matthew 5, he starts out, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I hope this has been helpful to you. It's actually been a challenge to preach. I've learned some things. And if we've learned anything, or if I've learned anything, it's really this, is that what impresses us just does not impress God at all. It's like, you know, we are so impressed by the movers and the shakers. We're impressed by the prosperous, the very intelligent, the crafty. But, but Jesus says, you know, God is really impressed by people like the meek and the humble And as we're going to see today, he is uh, really impressed with what he calls the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says in his beatitude, for they shall, they shall be called the children of God. And what I've done for the last few weeks is instead of just reading the beatitudes every uh, every week, I've been trying to think of verses of scripture that eh, supplement supplement the theme of what we're talking about. So this week I thought of uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, a famous line of his in the sixth chapter of his book. And I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our scripture this morning. And I'll get into sort of the context here very briefly uh, in the sermon. But I will be beginning with verses 9. And it's going to be the last verse that, that's really going to be the focus of our attention. Jeremiah says this, and he's preaching. He's preaching. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a grape gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? See, their eyes are closed. They cannot listen. So nobody's listening to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. That's because it's not pleasurable to them right now. But I am full, Jeremiah, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I've got to speak. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gatherings of young men as well. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the old folk and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Here's why. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest Everyone deals falsely. A lot of bad trade going on here. They have treated the wound. Who's hurting? The wound of my people carelessly saying, peace, peace. 
when there is no peace. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may be seated. So blessed are the peacemakers. I don't have a lot of room here. Charles did this on purpose, so I'll back up and fall over behind this keyboard. Um, think about this. You know, if, you, if you think about peace, none of us really has any issues with peace. Uh, but here's what you really need to underscore if you've got your Bible is that I want you to underscore the maker part of the peacemaker. Notice Jesus does not bless in that beatitude people who just pray for peace or who wish for peace or who hope for peace. Jesus blesses the peace, what? Makers. Those are people who make peace. Jesus knows that peace, especially when we're talking about God's peace, and that's what we're going to be talking about, the peace of God, what God means by that. This kind of peace is not something that just materializes out of thin air. It does not come without effort. You've got to work for this kind of peace to happen. And it takes a lot of action. And by taking action, it actually can raise all kinds of controversy. Uh, if you've got your scriptures, I do not think it is a coincidence that the very next beatitude, which we won't devote a sermon to, but the very next beatitude that Jesus speaks after the peacemakers is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Here's the truth. Our world despises the peacemakers. Our world wants to silence them. We want to dismiss them. We want to discredit them. We got this idea. We think peace means the absence of conflict. Like everybody, nobody's talking to each other. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. We're all kind of quiet. We think that's what peace means. And that's not what peace means at all. That everybody's quiet because the peacemaking that Jesus is actually blessing here and the people who do this, uh, it is actually a call to conflict. The peacemakers that Jesus is blessing, they are those who actually expose kind of the way we structure our society and they shine a light on it. And this can actually raise all kinds of fury and indignation. You know, you think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, he has loomed large over my thoughts this week. He just has. I mean, you think about him when he started uh, uh, promoting civil rights for people using the very language of the Bible. It's not as if the people in power and the segregationists heard him and said, Wow, I am so glad God called you. We have got to come together. They didn't do that at all. No, we memorialize Martin Luther King Jr. now, but many of you were alive at that time. You know that King Jr. was considered to be an enemy of the state. He was actually called a disturber of the peace. And see, and this is what the paradox of the peacemakers of God is. Here's, here's the paradox, is that God's peacemakers actually disturb the peace. God's peacemakers are the ones who disturb the peace. They call out the way things are. And they kind of expose things. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence also that Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the what? Children of God. Think about children. They're never quiet. They are constantly making racket. And so the peacemakers are those who are constantly making racket, but they, they, they expose what, what we could call kind of a sham, uh, bogus kind of peace, the kind of false peace. Jeremiah, the reason I picked this, is that Jeremiah in our lesson is actually calling out the bogus kind of peace. So Jeremiah is actually preaching to the, what we would call the politicians. He's, he's preaching to the religious authorities. 
who were supporting these politicians. And he says, you keep saying that there's peace and peace and peace, but there is no peace at all. Now, the peace that the officials were talking about was this kind of peace. They would make their speeches, and they would say things like, well, you know, we are the God's chosen people. You know, God is with us. God is on our side. He loves and blesses the way we have arranged our society. Surely God is going to make our plans prosper. So we are very peaceful people. But see, Jeremiah, as a prophet, he rises up and he, he reminds them that they are ignoring a very inconvenient fact. And they're ignoring the facts on the ground because the facts on the ground that Jeremiah was speaking with is that there's, there was rampant poverty There were those who were prospering really well while others were not. There were people whose homes were being displaced because they were forced out so other people could could profit off of their land there. And there was this huge arms race that was going on in Israel, which Jeremiah knew was going to provoke the nation to the north, Babylon, the Assyrians, and it was just going to be Israel's undoing. And he says, that's not peace, what you're talking about. See, the officials meant by peace this. Here's, Here's their understanding of peace. It was, hey, if you don't have any power, if you're not in charge like us, keep quiet. Don't say anything or we will silence you. But that's the peace of the majority. That's the peace of the consensus. That's the peace of those who are pretty comfortable with the way things are arranged in society. And Jeremiah says, that's not peace at all. See, Jeremiah looked for a different kind of peace. This is the peace that Jesus looked for. It was the peace that we might call the shalom of peace. You ever heard the expression shalom? It means peace. It's the peace of God. And the shalom peace of God was this understanding that that everybody within a community, everybody within a society would have the same privileges. Now, they would have the same dignity as everyone else. So in the Bible, this is important, in the Bible, peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Peace, from the biblical stand uh, point of view, means the presence of something. And it was the presence of fairness. It was the presence and is the presence of dignity for everybody else. So when Jeremiah was calling out the propagandists of his day, he was disturbing the peace of Israel. But he was actually peacemaking for God. When Moses rose uh, rose up against Pharaoh and said, let my people go, he was disturbing the peace of Egypt. But he was peacemaking for God. When Jesus Christ came along and said, there's another kingdom on the way, another empire that will displace our empire, he was disturbing the peace of the imperial consensus. But he was peacemaking for God. You see the point? I mean, Jesus, if you read his life, I mean, he came and he rattled some cages. He was a disturber of the peace. It's what got him killed. But see, Jesus attempted, and here he's blessing in this beatitude, those who try to make peace on different terms. The peacemakers of God try to make peace on different terms. I mean, you and I, we think peace means what? The absence of conflict, especially, which is not what that means. We, we think peace happens when, you know, I have a bigger club than you, and I club you down and get you to shut up, 
and then just step my neck on you. We, we think that's what peace means. Whoever has the biggest weapons, the greatest weapons, and can get the other side to, to just silence. But that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Jesus knows that that kind of peace will backfire because what will happen is that you will see some resentment and bitterness on the parts of those who were vanquished violently. They'll have children. Those children will grow up, and they will want to get back and even at you. And what Jesus believed in was a peace that could only happen if we use peaceful means. Like Jesus really is blessing those who are trying to get to peaceful ends by using very peaceful, nonviolent means. So Jesus would not have bought the line that you've got to fight fire with fire. If you fight fire with fire, you'll get burnt. Somebody's going to get hurt on this. That, that's the peace that Jesus is blessing here, those who make peace like that and not violently. So last week, I'm working on this sermon, and um, all week long, especially on Thursday and Friday, I got forwarded to me some emails uh, that evidently several of you read uh, through the week by a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr. I got some on Monday, I got some on Wednesday, I got three or four on Thursday, I got one on Friday, and so I'm working on my sermon, and I'm like, okay, clearly this is a sign uh, that, that God wants me to quote to this man named Richard Rohr. And I'm kind of glad that some of you are reading him. I do not read him all the time. So like, okay, Lord, I will concede. I will quote Richard Rohr this Sunday because I'm working on this sermon. So here we go, okay? So I got a couple of his devotions. And this, this is what Richard Rohr said. And what's interesting is that he was saying a few things about nonviolence. This dovetails nicely with what I was talking about. I never told anybody this. But here, here's one, uh, a couple of sentences of his that I really liked. He said this. How is it that you and I as Christians have managed to avoid everything Jesus taught so clearly? In fact, if Jesus never talked about it once, the churches become preoccupied with it, like abortion or birth control or homosexuality. Yet if Jesus talked about it all the time, like the danger of wealth and riches, or nonviolence, we tend to shelve it. Jesus is so clear on what he means by peacemaking, and yet you and I, we figure out all kinds of ways to dodge it. He goes into this in the next uh, chapter in his sermon. What does he say? You've heard it said, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, does anybody know? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And we think that Jesus can't be serious, but I think he is serious. We keep saying things like, well, you know, love your enemies. I mean, nonviolence, that can never work. Okay. Well, we have been killing each other since Cain slew Abel. See any peace yet? So we can't just use the uh, argument that it, it will just never work. I mean, you and I, we've got to just come to terms with this. You and I, when we're born... We are born into a world where we are immediately fed this narrative over and over and over again. And the narrative is this, that violence and violent action is the only thing that will ever truly liberate us and save us. We're fed that constantly. You never hear the words of Jesus. You're fed the other line. <laughs> it was uh, Thursday. I was literally working on this sermon. I was writing this sermon, trying to get all these thoughts together, and my son... 
Uh, he loves to play with Legos, and he came up to me, and he said, look, Dad, look at this Lego plane that I made, and I didn't even use a manual. I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is really cool, and then he said, look at the bombs I put in it. Now, on the one hand, boys will be boys. Yeah, I did not scold him, but you see what's kind of going on? It's like, even as children, we're kind of fed, like, wow, you, you got to have the bombs. It's not fun without the bombs. There's no other solution but the bombs. You know, we watched Wonder Woman uh, this summer. Some of you went out and watched that movie. And at the end, you know, Wonder Woman, she gives this little speech on peace. <laughs> I laugh because she gives a speech on peace after she had whipped everybody's you-know-what. Yeah. <laughs> and we can't imagine this. We can't imagine where, where Batman comes to the Joker and says, I forgive you. <laughs> I think that's funny. But well, we can't imagine a war. See, we, we, we are trained, we are indoctrinated to believe that there is only two things you can do in the face of injustice and evil. Two things. This is it. It's either run away, flight, or fight. There's no other solution. You've got to either run or you've got to fight. But what we never do is we think that wait, maybe there's another way. And what Jesus actually is telling his followers a little bit later on in his sermon is that I want you not to flee, and I don't want you to fight on, on the terms of the world. There's a third way. I want you to fight. But I want you to fight with different kinds of weapons. I want you to fight with the weapons of... That's hard, man. It's the weapons of forgiveness, which we'll get into in a minute, the weapons of mercy and, and nonviolence. And I tell you, it is harder to think of doing it that way than it would be to fight with, with, with violence. Uh, maybe some of you uh, read what this Navy SEAL, some of you saw this, this really got my attention. So, you know, we got, a, we got this crisis with North Korea right now, and we got it back and forth, and there was this Navy SEAL who said, man, we don't, we don't need to go bomb all those people in North Korea. He says, I got the solution to, to, to bring peace to the North Korea. He says, uh, all we got to do is uh, the U.S. needs to fly some planes over the region, drop about 25 million iPhones on them, and then put, about, uh, put a few hundred satellites right above the region and give everybody free Wi-Fi. So that'll expose them to the world. Now, I was thinking, okay, all right, so I don't know if I necessarily agree with giving even more people the attention deficit disorder that we all have, thanks to our phone. But it's an alternative, isn't it? It's an alternative. It's another way. Someone's thinking creatively. And what often happens is that I'll get in a conversation with people about nonviolence, and someone will always quote Romans 13. And for those of you who don't know Romans 13, Romans 13 says that you and I should submit to the governing authorities. And people will say, well, it's the governing authorities. The governing authorities want us to do this. We've got to do what the governing authorities say. And we've got to slow down on that, okay? Because that verse is exactly what the Nazis used to get the German Christians in line with them. We're ready to kill the Jews, and it, your Bible says, submit to the authorities. There comes a moment in the Christian life where we have to say what the disciples said when they were arrested by the governing authorities for preaching Jesus, that we must obey God rather than human authorities. That's what they said. And, and the question, I'm talking too long here because i got a couple other things I want to say, and I'm, I'm rambling. But the question is not, does nonviolence work? That's actually the wrong question. It might not work. It might get us killed. But violence might not work either. Violence might get us killed. The question for Christians on this matter is not, does it work? It is this. It is, is it right? 
Is it right? You and I are gathered here in the name of a nonviolent king named Jesus. And you and I as Christians have to really wrestle that if our Lord and Savior saved the world nonviolently and wants to save the world nonviolently, then how can you and I be anything but? And that will be a very intense debate to have. But that's the question. If God loves his enemies, what about us? It's hard. All right, a couple things I just want to say um, before, I, before I end. I was thinking this week about a uh, professor of mine in, in seminary, and I remember he said this in passing, and it just went straight to my soul, and I've, I've always remembered it. But he said this. He says that the first step in making peace with your enemies or anybody else is recognizing that they are not going away. We so want a world where those people are gone. We don't have to deal with them anymore. If they could just disappear, all would be well. Never happen. That's a dream that will never happen. You know, you think about you know, what, what the peacemakers of God actually want to do is that they don't, they don't want to get rid of people. They don't want to do battle against the flesh and the blood necessarily. It's, it's, they want to do battle against the ideologies and the ideas that drive the hatred. You, know, you think about white supremacists that are in the news all the time now. I mean, we're not, we're, we should not be out to, to eliminate the world of the people. What we should do is, is fight against the ideology that makes them think that hate is okay. That's a whole different thing. And see, the peacemakers of God, we, we always want to choose sides on issues, but the peacemakers of God always, always strive to stay on the side of God and the side of truth. And this is hard. You know, I was thinking of uh, an interview this week that I watched with Martin Luther King Jr., and i got to send a link to you for this. It's a wonderful interview, and he was sitting between two white anchormen, and this was when Dr. King came out in opposition to the Vietnam War. And, man, they were grilling him on this. And they said, well, you know, by not supporting the war, I mean, aren't you worried about falling out of favor with President Johnson? Aren't you worried about falling out of favor with the American people? You need to show your support. And, and I remember his comment. He said it so gently and so calmly. He said, I'm more worried about falling out of favor with the truth and with who God has called me to be. And we're never going to get rid of each other. Let me, let me wade into more controversy here. I promise I don't have long to go. But I'm on a roll. Might as well go. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about the debate our denomination is having right now over homosexuality. And this is a threat to split our denomination. And I, it's probably a sin, but I worry about this. I think, well, what, what will happen to you? What will happen to the building? I mean, what, what, what are you going to do if we split? What will that look like? And, and there are people on both sides of this debate who want the other side to go away or else come over to my side. And what everybody on both sides just has to recognize, whether you agree or disagree, is that neither side's going away. It's not going to happen. You know, we can split. That's fleeing. That's kind of like running, isn't it? We'll just split and be done with it. But that still doesn't solve anything because there will be people who agree and there will be people who disagree. And the main question that we're going to be wrestling with in the next few months, and we're going to have to talk about this next year because it is coming, is, is how are you and I as Christians, whether we agree or disagree, whether we are straight or gay, how are we going to worship the same God together because they're all going to worship the same God? We're not going to stop that at all. Okay, uh, last one is, is this, is that 
you got to recognize the people you disagree with, your enemies are not going anywhere. The second thing that all the peacemakers say is this, is that there can never be peace without forgiveness. You can't ever have true peace without forgiveness. And to forgive someone is not to say what you did is okay, I'm good. And I've told you, a bit, told you this before. To forgive someone says what you did is actually so hurtful that I've got to forgive you for this. But what you're doing in that moment is you're stopping the cycle of hate and, and animosity. There was a great theologian who said that violence can overthrow rulers, but it can't change the rules. You can overthrow rulers, but you can't change the rules in violence. But forgiveness changes the rules. In the sanctuary, we're singing this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Any of you know that hymn? A mighty fortress is our God. Okay, it's hard to sing. And, uh, but there's a line in there, and it says about the devil, one little word shall fail him. One little word shall fail the devil, shall eliminate the devil. Well, anyway, we're singing this because I remember the story from my hero, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he, he was in seminary, and he sang that hymn. And he went to his professor and said, that word, it says, one little word shall fail the devil. What is the word? The hymn doesn't say what the word is. And the, uh, the professor told Fred, he said, Freddie, the word that will undo the devil is forgiveness. The devil hates forgiveness. Evil cannot stand forgiveness. I'm going to call the musicians forward as we end, but, you know, you think about Jesus and what did he do for us? He forgave us, didn't he? He loved his enemies on that cross. He did. And now we're not fighting with each other. Now he's made us members of the same family. Jesus was the peacemaker of all peacemakers, but he disturbed the peace. And as many other people have said, the question is not whether we're going to be extremists. We're going to be extremists for something. We're either going to be extremists for hate or we're going to be extremists for grace. Oh, that the church, oh, that God would raise up people in the church with the guts enough to disturb the peace. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on classes, upcoming events, or how to get involved, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.